Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me as 2024 rumbles around to February just about already. Oh my God. Oh my good mates, 60s and Quint. Fellas, while I'm sort of lost in the fact that a month has already gone from another year, how are you two fellas holding up? Mate, I'm doing really well because we've got the football season by way of junior reps kicking off this weekend and we'll talk more about that in this podcast. And mate, training is really ramping up from a football perspective. You can sense how close it is because... The first of the trials are less than three weeks away, so there's plenty of football happening at training. It's it's a great time of year right now as we as we get that march towards March. <laughs> <laughs> and Quint, how you doing, mate? Well, uh, exactly exactly that sixties because. Um, you know, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. I, I only just realised uh, yesterday it was that we're two and a half weeks out from the preseason challenge, and you know, I'd like to say I'm fighting fit and uh, and through blue uh, for that matter as well, and worth my weight in gold, ready for the season to uh, to kick off. So you know, it's exciting that we've got junior reps doing just that this weekend. But um, yeah, you know, it's it's come around a lot quicker than I think any of us were were probably prepared for. Yeah, tick over two weeks, the NRL All Stars. So it's the first representative fixture on the calendar obviously round zero comes after that in the context of nrl so there is a lot of football coming at us thick and fast all right fellas let's get into the meat of the show first we thank our sponsors as always big swing golf north mead and star partners real estate auburn Rowan and Parramatta. you guys know how important they are to tct and the podcast thank you for everything you do and before we get into the actual show itself a quick community service announcement um it is Parramatta leagues club directors uh voting uh, right now so make sure you get out, out there and either use your postal vote your in-person vote or most easily your uh, digital vote um, 60s it takes what a couple of minutes to set up your digital vote and get it in so if you are registered to vote digitally make sure you get it done and uh, pick your directors yeah if you've already if you are registered to receive emails from the leagues club you can vote in that election for directors via electronic voting and it's as simple as anything you would have received an email about it now if you're if you have your email address registered and yeah it literally takes like two minutes to vote not like the old days of having to go down in person and um you know deal with people coming up and telling you who who you should be voting for and all those tickets that used to exist it's now pretty straightforward follow the uh instructions in the information that you sent you'll also receive the uh, communication about the list of candidates so have a look at that check it out and uh yeah please use your vote yeah we always talk about it at 60s but the importance of your constitutional right as a member of the leagues club go out and exercise it make sure you get your vote in and then yeah on that note let's get into the new show
Yeah, gents, I'm going to take a little bit of creative liberty here and uh, and stretch the friendship and add something um, before we get into the meat of the show and do a shout out for a friend of the throw, Nathan. Uh, he sits with us at the football who got married to his bride, Anna, on this weekend, but also uh, some announcements for some Cumberland throw birthdays. Our very own Mitch, whose birthday is coming up this Saturday on the 3rd, and of course, our great friend here with us, 60s on Sunday on the 4th. Oh, mate, thanks for that uh, advanced birthday wishes. <laughs> my my age is now well and truly matching my age. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's... Uh, I'm starting, rate? Uh, mate, I'm, I'm at that age now where I'm actually calculating how old I am by remembering the year that I was born and then working... <laughs> <laughs> working it out to what the current year is. That's pretty sad when you have to start doing that. <laughs> no, look, we, uh, we we all love you, mate. And and, and we, we all love Mitch, who, of course, is the man behind the Cumberland Throw Twitter. And um, who did give a shout out to me last week. I apologize. I didn't get back to you, Mitch, because I was amidst uh, best man duties for the aforementioned wedding. But thank you for, for your well wishes. And um, we hope you have a fantastic birthday as well on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Um it might, that, it might even be a significant birthday too, but we'll we'll leave ah, that till the yes. I've, I did I did forget. Happy twenty first, Mitch. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll we will segue now sixties into a training update, and you have a little bit of uh, information to provide us all about what sort of transpired the last week. Yeah, it's really getting to the stage where the opposed work is dominating the sessions. Today, it was nothing but the football. So uh, rocked up there. The team was in their jerseys, the blue jerseys versus the white jerseys. It was uh, a really good session. If you enjoy your football, if you've been missing your football, a session like that was uh, really fun to watch, entertaining to watch. And it's even even Monday, there was a good component of a, a post football. So with it getting to the pointy end of the pre-season, I'm expecting that it's going to be less on the conditioning and more on the football. Mind you, as we start to get to this point, it actually becomes very difficult for me to continue with pre-season training reports because once they start preparing for specific opponents, it becomes near impossible for me to report too much from training because it becomes what they're doing is it becomes even more specific. And so, yeah, there's not really too much I can report. So look for my report. That's going to go up. Well, by the time you're listening to this podcast, it would have gone up the night before. So Wednesday night, there will be the latest preseason training report. And uh, if you haven't already done so, check out Monday's report, plenty of football action in that. Uh, there's certainly been some debate in some of the more recent training reports, people have been asking me over and over again about what's happening in defence. <laughs> um, Why are they practising defence 60s? Why aren't they practising it? <laughs> yeah, so uh, no, there's plenty of work being done on defence. If you read the word opposed, that means that there is defensive lines and defensive systems that uh, are being drilled as much as the attack. So... Uh, it's a game of uh, – so there's two sides to the game of rugby league. Just as much work is spent on 
defence as there is on attack in uh, training sessions at the Eels. So rest assured, even if I haven't gone into specifics about it, there's plenty of it that's happening. Well, we move from the training pitch now uh, to the administration offices with uh, some news on the uh, Para Council sponsorship uh, 40 which uh, has now been reduced. Can you talk us through a little bit more about what's happened there? Yeah, a bit of a community pushback uh, spearheaded by, um, you know, some members of Para Council and uh, I think there was a radio jockey that was pretty vocal about it too. Uh, so what was originally a $2.4 million... How unusual, how unusual John, for a certain radio <laughs> jockey to be um, campaigning against it. But anyway... And look, when we spoke about this originally, we mentioned that there would be some pushback. And uh, I wasn't surprised yep. to see the groundswell rise up a bit there. Uh, but what was originally a $2.4 million sponsorship deal over three years, I believe, is now being cut back to $1.15 mil, so less than half what was originally on the table. So obviously a pretty big hit for the club there. I think it works out to what, 383k a year thereabouts. So it's a you know, pretty big hit to the, the hip pocket there. But not to be unexpected that there was going to be pushback. Um, we spoke about it going back a few podcasts, boys. <sighs> I can see why people don't like it. Uh, they they mm. see it as an investment into an entity that you know is uh, it's not private really, but um, is uh, not necessarily in the in what was conventionally the best interest of the community. But by the same token, you see so much petty and useless and flagrantly corrupt investment in other areas by plenty of other councils, and you kind of think, well, at least a sports like a sports facility like the Eels would make use of it to help the community. So I don't know. It's an, it's an interesting conundrum, right? Because you can understand it from the perspective, if you look at purely from the taxpayer dollar and mm -hmm. you know whether it's being utilised um, in the best possible way, as you're um, suggesting there, then, 40. But at the same time, you know, um, the, the yields are also a community asset and choosing yeah. to invest in it, that, that, that's not foreign for any government to do that. You know, that's... that's um, New South Wales state government has done that with plenty of theatre um projects and um and, and and productions i should say um you know through a lot of tourist efforts you know we've uh, you, you look at sort of what's going on at the australian museum at the moment as well um with the ramses exhibit I'm, I'm pretty certain that that's getting state and um federal um dollars behind it as well so you know it, it, I, I, there's been some i guess clever wording around this and the way that it's been challenged and that oh the the local taxpayer is having to do this and they go well why would we be paying for um uh, for a business that um, has the support of, the, of a profit-generating leagues club, you know, and um, the fact of the matter is that the, these things happen all the time. So, you know, I, I think it's yeah, been unfairly yeah. represented, but I do think it's fair to question uh, as a whole rather than the uh, absolutely specifically it, here whether we should do this as a society or not. Yeah, but then on the flip well, side, what, what about the northern northern our northern territory? arrangement yeah. well, exactly, exactly right you've exactly. got, got a whole you've got a whole territory there right yeah and then you, you know on the flip side to where that argument came from quint you see obviously all the council not not so paramedic council but in general council junkets going to sister cities and other countries and then at the end of the financial Absolutely. year there's there's all suddenly a flurry of you know road work patching up roads in order to hit budget to make sure you get the reallocation of the same <laughs> budget you know coming into the next yeah. financial year so when you see that's that sort on, of stuff that's a, that's a that's a good note there, John. Always look out in uh, in uh, mid June when you start seeing your potholes filled. Exactly, you see a flurry of uh, you know street work being done, whether it needs to be done or not. You know they'll they'll relay stuff and whatnot just to hit budget. Um, so you mm -hmm. see that sort of stuff, and you know the cynic in you is like, well, why? What's wrong with supporting a sports club then? 
but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can understand why people might have been against this. Um, so I'm, I'm not uh, peeved in that regard. And the fact that there still is a sponsorship deal on the table is encouraging. It means there is a building stone to go from there. Um, if the Eels can prove that this is going to be a beneficial relationship with the Parramatta City Council, you can look to you know build on that from there. But you know, there's there's always going to be pushback for these sort of things, and to see this outcome happen isn't surprising. Um, and at least there is still a partnership there between Parramatta City Council and the Parramatta Eels. Yeah, and I, look, I think it's I think it's disappointing from the perspective that the deal was around uh, programs that were going to benefit mm. the uh, young young people in the district in terms of their participation in sport. It was going to um, involve activations. Well, I mean, what it, what's it's still going to have these things, right? But it was going to be beneficial not just to the uh, residents in the area, the young residents in the area, but it, it also was beneficial from the point of view of the businesses in the area. <laughs> and let's face it, on on match days there's uh, an injection of revenue into the CBD of Parramatta when uh, match day crowds are there because whenever there's an event at Parramatta Stadium, and it's not just, you know, the rugby league, it's it's there for when there's other matches there, be it with soccer or uh, rugby union, whatever the case may be, if there, or, or concerts. If there's big crowds heading to the stadium... You're going to get people in Eat Street in Parramatta. You're going to get people that are, um, you know, parking up in the CBD area of Parramatta and and they could be visiting establishments before and after the game. So it's it's good business practice to have activations that mm. assist the CBD. So yeah, it's I a community think, I think it's, with trickle-down economics, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's... I think the one of the changes has been that they've taken away um, some of the corporate benefits that uh, might have been associated with uh, a, a, a partnership with the Eels, I, I would imagine, like um, attendance in corporate boxes, that sort of thing for councillors, that that's not on the table, that sort of thing, so that you get the uh, removal of, uh, I guess, well, you're not going to call it a junket because it's only one day, but you're getting the removal of those sorts of benefits from people who were who were elected onto the council. Um, so anyway, it takes it takes that out. But yeah, it's a little bit disappointing. And you'd have to say that not only has it been resident kickback, but you'd have to say that some of that media pushback has mm. um, certainly been. You'd have to think it's been instrumental to a degree. To what degree, I don't know. But it, I, I think it's, you know, it's, again, uh, someone that doesn't particularly like uh, the people who are involved at Parramatta and he just makes it known in everything that he does. So, anyway, uh, we move on, fellas. Yeah, and, and uh, very appropriately to the games that will be taking place this weekend with the junior rep season kicking off. Um, obviously, we've got um, both the girls and boys playing on uh, Saturday and Sunday, respectively. I believe it's all at Granville, but 60s, you'll be um, spending some time out there this weekend. Of course, 40 will be there with the with the live blog. Gents, uh, talk us through um, all, all the teams and all the grades and and um, and what we can expect. Yeah, well, we might dig into we might dig into the full preview a little bit later in this podcast, but just for now. 
It's the girls are actually at Belmore. Yeah, which split is, round, so they Belmore. Uh, ah. Yeah, yeah. So that's a hop, skip, and a jump from forty for mm-hmm. from uh, his residence over the to Belmore. So yep. he's 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 covering the matches there on Saturday. I think you're going to double up, aren't you, forty? Look, looking to looking to, so yeah, hoping to get out the Granville on Sunday as well. So we'll have to wait and see, but I am planning to. Well, that's how I'm spending my birthday, fellas. Being out at Granville Park in what's I think supposed to be forty degree temperatures by the middle of the day. Oh. The, the there, good the good news is for those that don't want to get out to either Belmore on Saturday or Granville on that hot and sweaty Sunday, um, all four games should be well not telecast but live stream on New South Wales Rugby League TV this week. Ah, there you go. There's some Brilliant. good news for uh, for people. Uh, there is also, I've really received a little bit of late news, an under-16s development squad game uh, preceding the flag game on, uh, sorry, the uh, Mats game on Sunday. It's an 8.30 kickoff at Granville as well. So if you want to get out to Granville Park, maybe get there early before the heat kicks in. Uh, you've got the uh, 8.30 kickoff for the uh, under-16s development. You've got a 10 o'clock kickoff for the mats and 11.30 kickoff for the SG ball. And similarly on the Saturday, it's a 10 o'clock kickoff for the Lisa Fiola Cup and then an 11.30 kickoff for the Tasha Gale Cup. Mm -hmm. And we'll dig into the full preview with the uh, team lists just uh, later on after the NRL news segment of this podcast. Well, as the junior rep season is about to heat up, uh, one of our junior league players has been getting a lot of online attention for his length of the field try, uh, which was scored last year, that of Viliotu Masila. Uh, John, this is something that's garnered a lot of attention in both the Twitter sphere and I think now as well even TikTok. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's fair to say. Million yeah, I was, I was about wow. to say that the, the metrics on it are outstanding. Um, it before it went viral worldwide, it was a big deal in rugby league circles in Australia. And, you know, it's definitely an all-timer when you see a length of the field trial like that and seeing a big man go through most of the team <laughs> uh, the way he did was fantastic. So, yeah, it, it is a cracking clip. It was, is a, a piece of rugby was league. Was it off the kickoff to yeah, start the It was off a kickoff, game? yeah, to start the game, yes. Wow. So, As opposed to like a, a restart from a, you know, like a back-to-back try. Yeah. This, is, this is the first play of the game. Yeah, so he's made a massive splash play from the uh, opening set of the game, opening play of the game. Uh, yeah, so piece of rugby league immortality there for him, regardless of how his junior career works out now. He's got that to his name forever. And yeah, he's loving it. Is that yeah, and possibly the, the, the most watched video in rugby league history in terms of uh, online metrics? It's got to be up there. It's it's huge response. Well, it'd be pretty hard to think of something that compares to that, really, because you're mostly talking about views that would come from within Australia for most, most of the rugby league uh, videos. But this has really gone that... that viral stage and a worldwide viral stage. Mm-hmm. So it, it'd have to be. The the other thing too is uh, John and I um, were at the presentation for the Junior Rugby League last year and uh, the young bloke received an award for the try um, in the try of the year sort of category and um, he was so shy and humble about, <laughs> about his efforts. And uh, yeah, it was... 
uh, you know, there's, it certainly it certainly didn't appear to be anything that had gone to his head. So, uh, you know, more power to him, and I hope he continues to enjoy his football with the Marylands Rams. Well, gents, the referee's blown the whistle, and we're at the uh, halftime, half point of the podcast. This is where we encourage our listeners to hit the pause button, take a break. But uh, it's also the part of our podcast that's become increasingly popular over the uh, the last couple of months uh, because we're now starting to get requests for halftime music, um, John. And uh, we, uh, I guess, we're obliging and we're we're entertaining. Uh, requests now and we absolutely encourage people to put in the comments on this podcast uh, something that they might like to hear or to connect with us on on Twitter and or or any of our other channels for that matter but uh, John you've, you've you've got a um, you've got a new one for us here this week yeah, it always warms the old heartstrings and there are other people out there who are as weird and wacky as me when it comes to the uh, esoteric <laughs> taste of music and we've got a good one today actually and this one sort of uh, listening to it reminded me of the old when you're watching what would have been 90s ABC, the old uh, corporate like sort of uh, instructional videos and whatnot. So uh, have a little listen and see what you think. You can sort of imagine that being a corporate training video or something in the, the 90s ABC or SBS archives there. Um, and fittingly, uh, named Network Music as a generic title there. So, yeah, <laughs> great great little well, recommendation can I just, there. I, I think that music should throw to me for this. Ladies and gentlemen, the award for the most erudite podcast presenter for 2024 <laughs> goes to John Carley of the Cumberland Throw. Everyone, round of applause for John Carley. But yeah, that, um, you know, a bit of uh, Rob Sitch and whatnot there with uh, uh, what was the the mockumentary series he did? Was it literally called Frontline? Frontline. There you go. So Frontline. yeah, um, very good recommendation there. And yeah, just listening to that, it brings back, to, like I said, the old uh, sort of schoolboy feeling of watching ABC or watching an English. Uh, video or an yeah, I was going to say it was, it was English for me. I didn't. I don't think I watched the show as it aired live on TV, but it was certainly part of my HSC studies when I did it. Yes, indeed. And on but, that note, it brings us to the second half of the show with Clint taking us through an interesting slate of NRL news. Yeah, well, it kicks off with uh, Tavita Pangai Junior, oh. who has been <laughs> cited and rumored to, or well, cited at Brisbane training, rumored to potentially be returning to the Broncos. Uh, I'm going to throw it to both of you for your thoughts on this, uh, gents. Uh, this comes to abs- the surprise of absolutely no one. I mean, <laughs> on, on the one hand, 60s, I'm not necessarily going to complain about it being a boost to the Brisbane Broncos because I don't really think he improves what is already a formidable team. I know they've lost uh, Flegler to the, to the Dolphins, but I don't think Pangai Jr. comes in and plays the same role that Flegler did for the Broncos. But, gee, it's a... I'll say odd look for the game when someone ostensibly gets a golden handshake to retire and then three, four months later, they're like, no, no, I'm not going to box. I'm going to go play NRL Jokes. again. Oh, but John, the Bulldogs have no issue with him <laughs> continuing in rugby league. They're not going to be upset that he's decided his decision to retire and walk away from them 
has resulted in now in him looking to return to the Broncos the very next season. They don't have an issue with that, John. So it's all fair play, apparently. Yeah, like, like I said, it's a very odd look. And, you know, uh, people can certainly extrapolate what they want from the entire process here. But, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's certainly... Uh, if it walks like a duck. Yeah, exactly. Quacks like a duck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the old saying. And uh, and I think they're the, that same club's doubling down with the next bit of news, Glenn. Yep. From one former Bulldog to now another, Raymond Fatala Mariner was given an immediate release from the Bulldogs to join the Dragons for two years. Um, John, there'd obviously been a bit of noise around him. Previously, the club captain there in season 2023 um, supposedly, if the papers that I believe uh, had a bit of a falling out towards the back end of last year, they hashed it out, inverted commas, but now he's been uh, granted the release that always seemed like it was forthcoming and ended up at St. George. Yeah, well, we, we dab, dubbed the uh, Olam Bloor trade the greatest soap opera plotline of the NRL in recent years <laughs> for being dragged out. But equally so, the Fatala Mariner uh, departure from the Bulldogs has been a long time coming. He was... Uh, removed from club captaincy and then essentially exiled from the club at one point and then allowed back in from the wilderness when they sort of tried to make amends in a PR sense and now comes as no surprise that he has moved on. Um, I actually, uh, he's he's on the back nine of his career now, uh, but as a player, I've had a fair rap on Vitale Mariner for a good portion of his career and uh, in a very ordinary Bulldogs team, he's often been a, a very good player. Uh, he's been held back by injuries more recently, so it's going to be a matter of his... Uh, health and availability defining what his tenure at the, the Dragons will be. But I think on the balance of things, it's probably a pretty good pickup for the Dragons. They're a team that just want good, decent players to fill across the park, I think. Uh, so this is a good acquisition for them. And for the Bulldogs, it, it's hard to get a read on what they want with their team. I know we all meme about all the utilities they signed because they signed a lot of utilities. Uh, but their, their forward pack is just, it feels paper thin. And I know they've been linked mm. to some names and they're chasing uh, the elder, the Ford May that's at the Roosters. We talked about it the other week. Uh, uh, Terrell. Terrell. Terrell May, yeah. And that's obviously, that would be one building block there. But they're letting go of a, an experienced club veteran, a, a captain or a former captain. And yeah, it, it, it does make you wonder what the big plan is out at uh, Bankstown Canterbury. To get within the cap at the moment. Well, that, that's actually... Those, yeah, the last two that we've just that, talked that, about. That, that could be literally it. But, yeah, uh, again, that makes you question the big plan, doesn't it? Like, the have they just gone out and spent willy-nilly in some luxury positions without really addressing the core issues in their roster and now they're flailing around trying to get back under the cap, perhaps? Um, in which case, that doesn't bode well for their viability both in the short, medium, and long term. Yeah, look, I'm not a fan of their recruitment processes. It's like, from the perspective of an outsider just observing, it feels like they sign whoever they can and then they make it fit later. Make it fit either with who ends up on their roster or how it works with the cap. Whatever the case may be, you know that what ends up happening is there are late cuts from their from their roster because they have to make it work somehow before the competition starts and we're now seeing that and i i guess if i'm them i'm saying well look this isn't a surprise because we've been trying to negotiate 
these, uh, you know, the departure of Raymond Fitala Mariner since last season. But uh, it's interesting that it, it, it comes at this point. Maybe that's, you know, good work for the, the Dragons because there's been a certain amount of his contract now that's already been paid. Uh, well, the best part of a quarter of his contract for this year, given that it's from November 1 and we're now got through November, December, January. So, yeah, there's a quarter of the year that's been paid for. So it doesn't cost the Dragons as much anyway for the pickup. And I don't know whether there's any freight that the Bulldogs are carrying for his contract and going to the Dragons. Like you, John, I think he is a good pickup for the Dragons. They've had a horror, horror recruitment drive with picking up players who are injured and just simply not bringing in players who are going to change their fortune in any way. He's adding a real positive to their balance sheet, provided he can get back to something approaching his best football. Doesn't have to be at his peak. He's just a very talented footballer. And if he gives them the best that he can, I'm sure it's going to be a positive for their club. I don't know if it's enough to get them off the bottom of the table where I think they will be anchored, but it's a step in the right direction for them. Mm-hmm. Well, the Dragons theme continues with um, now Christian Tuipolotu, the manly uh, winger outside back, uh, who's been granted permission to negotiate with St. George. Um, 60s, what's your thoughts on that potential move? Well, he's certainly a blockbusting young winger, isn't he? Like he's, it, it's really a power game with him. Mm. Again, I think that's a positive. Now, whether he stays on the wing or not is another matter. But look, I like what he brings. He's. It does surprise me in a way that Manly are prepared to let him go. I guess it comes down to whether they see that he's holding a spot that they've got maybe earmarked for another player coming through, that he's surplus. I guess he must be surplus to their needs. And I don't blame the Dragons for having a look at him anyway. So Flanagan would have the inside running here too, wouldn't he? Because he was the assistant at Manly, right? Mm. So this would be be a signing with essentially insider knowledge of knowing who he's getting. But in saying that, I mean, I look at this, projected Dragons backline outside of Tour Pilotto's acquisition or potential acquisition, I don't feel like their backline is that lacking. Um, Sloan, no. Sloan is streaky at fullback, and, but Tour Pilotto is not a fullback. Um, but Sloan is talented, but you know inconsistent. And then you've got Matt Fianai, who is a solid NRL player. Zulian and Lomax in the centres, and Ravalawa on the wing. And Ravalawa has been quite good. I don't think you'll find too many Dragons fans upset about him. And the rest of the backline, well, Lomax, very talented, but has been able to get the best out of him. Uh, and Sui is a he's a niche centre. You know, he's a big blockbusting power centre, but he's been good for the Dragons. So I'm not really mm. sure where Tool Palazzo fits in there unless you're going to get rid of, or get rid of, drop someone like Fianai back to Reggie's. Yeah, that's the way I'd be going. Just, I, I think, I think he's a little bit inconsistent. But that's, that's again, me as an outsider. It might be the Dragons fans completely disagree with that. Oh, look, I, I I feel the same as well about um, about their fullback. I, I mm. wonder as well whether Lomax is the better option for them at fullback. But um, I, maybe that's just who St. the St. George 
what the St. George identity is. Inconsistency. There are times when like they look like they could tear an opposition team apart and then it just seems that they will implode and they get the odd win because the implosion doesn't happen or it doesn't happen as badly. But mm. you just see like they have a unique ability to maybe snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, and, <laughs> and not necessarily, yeah, but not necessarily at the end of the game. It's almost well, yeah, all within the first quarter. <laughs> yeah, so you know they could they could be looking good and just it 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 all just goes to crap in a game. So, well, well, um, yeah, recent against them in August of last year at the back end of the twenty twenty three season. The first 10 minutes, we looked like world beaters. And then then for like the 10, 15 minutes that followed that, they looked like world beaters. And then we called it back. But, you know, um, I felt that that game was not only reflective of both teams' seasons last year, but also very reflective of the St. George identity uh, of the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, I think that's a fair comment. And uh, the last little bit of NRL news, mate. Yeah, look, uh, this one's uh, news to me today, but um, Wayne Bennett's looking to throw his hat in to coach the Kiwis. Uh, John, um, tell us a little bit more about this, because uh, Wayne Bennett certainly isn't a stranger to international football. He's not a stranger to the Kiwis either, is he? I'm, I'm fairly, he hasn't been the director he was, coach. He was but assistant yeah, under Stephen Kearney. That's right, yeah, he hated Stephen Kearney way back. It must have been the late 2000s, maybe the old, 2008 old World yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah, 2008 World mm. Cup, yeah, so... Um, he's certainly, I mean, I know it's a decade and a half removed now, but he's uh, not unfamiliar with the territory. And giving his pedigree, and, and I know he's in advanced age now for a coach, he's 74 now. It's, uh, you know, he's doing, still doing pretty good for himself. Uh, you'd think the Warriors, Warriors, the New Zealand Rugby League would be all over it. Um, having someone like Bennett at the helm uh, would maybe help in the recruitment war against New South Wales and Queensland. Um, which especially when you've got Michael Maguire going from the New Zealand role to the New South Wales role, and he, you know, he made the promises and platitudes that he wouldn't try and poach, but every assistant coach that goes to an NRL head coach does the same thing and then immediately raids the club that he was just at. Um, it's just how the game is played. But yeah, you'd think having him at the helm would be a, a big feather in their cap, and it had a bit, a bit more, I mean, not like the contest need more spice, given that the Kiwis have shown they've got plenty of punch themselves in recent years, including the, you know, the last match. But it added an extra layer of spice, wouldn't it? Having essentially the godfather of modern Australian rugby league stepping into the uh, the big talismanic role for the Kiwis. You, I wonder whether they could structure it similar to the Dolphins, where say Bennett takes charge for maybe a couple of years with uh, one of the other coaches, yeah, as his and- assistant, you know, beat Stacey Jones, Nathan Kalis, whatever the case may be, and and most that, and I. Know- I know they both got their experience as coaches, but just from that national perspective under Bennett, getting his wisdom there and, uh, yeah, having that transition to a younger coach. That's a great great point, 60s. And the other thing too for the Dolphins is that most clubs would be reticent to let their head coach be bogged down, mired down in the micromanagement that comes with a representative coaching role. We've seen, you know, there's been a, a pretty queer separation of representative coaches and club coaches in recent years. But the Dolphins literally have a succession plan in place for Christian Wolf to be the head coach. So he could get 
the sort of the peas on the uh, the coaching uh, gig this year or whenever a New Zealand uh, gig comes calling and he can take over the team and be the, the head coach for a week or two while Bennett handles uh, the international responsibilities. Well, I gather this is one of those uh, situations where I think we're pretty much all given the thumbs up on this. Yeah, mm. I mean, the, it makes sense. Uh, you get literally the godfather of modern rugby league taking over. He can, like you said, 60s, uh, be the guiding figure towards the next generation Kiwi head coach. And yeah, and it, it adds another layer of spice to those international clashes, which are already in a really, really good spot, given that the Kiwis have a wealth of talent to their name these days. Now, fellas, can I throw something in without notice before we head into our junior reps preview for this weekend? The last couple of weeks, we've been looking to try to discuss this new rule that's come in with the NRL around restarts and that a restart that doesn't go the distance or goes out on the full in a contested situation is not a penalty against the against the team kicking the ball, but rather it's a tap restart on the 10 metres from that kicking line. Can we dive into that maybe for about five, 10 minutes as a bit of a discussion on our our take about the pros and cons of this rule change for the year, because I think it's fair to say there's some grey areas still with this rule. Mm. Well, um, we, we've, we've had a little bit of off-air discussions about this before, and, gents, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to repeat myself here, and I'm going to frame it for our listeners. I, I always approach any change with what problem, and this is, doesn't happen to be footy, this is just... This is just General life advice for everyone here. What problem are you trying to solve? You know, because you know, someone and something, whatever it might be, who is presumably not stupid, introduced what is the, 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 the current circumstances, the status quo, for a reason. Does that reason still stand? No? Okay, let's examine what other options might be better. If the answer to that question is yes, okay, so why are we going to meddle with it? I don't understand what, what problem we're trying to solve with this. I understand that there'll be people who try and frame it from an entertainment perspective and that there's another challenge and contest in, in the game, but is it one that we need? Well, Clint, evidently the motivation was to, this is what I'm hearing, what my sources are telling me, that it's to introduce, the clubs wanted it to introduce the contest element a little bit more into the game. However... And this is something, again, that the three of us have discussed and and John especially raised this. Why is there a rule that's come in that advantages the team that has just made an error or disadvantages the team that's just forced uh, a that particular mm-hmm. restart? Because your line dropouts... Uh, or, uh, coming ostensibly from an error that's been made in goal, a player tackled in goal, uh, your your line, your twenty meter dropouts are coming from uh, where one team's perhaps given a been given a penalty, and the uh, attacking teams opted for goal. They've missed the kick for goal, so the restarts happening with a, a twenty meter dropout, and uh, the kickoff is again. The, the team that's just been scored against mm. is is kicking the ball. And again, they've 
they've been conceding points, so they're kicking off. And in all these situations, they've got literally the upper hand in, in maybe everything except for potentially territory. So what it's what annoys mate, it me make any sense. No, I agree, sixties, and like you said, uh, that that was largely my argument when we were discussing this off air being why are you disadvantaging the team that's made the good play, whether it's in defense or mm-hmm. uh, forcing an error? Yeah, essentially rewarding bad behavior there. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I was, I was looking at, right? you, you boil it down to raw numbers. The rugby league field, by its specifications, is 68 meters wide. That means you got 30, if you're not kicking directly down the middle, it's 34 meters to the sideline from the middle, right? Which gives you about 30 meters of leeway to kick the ball 10 metres, nowhere near the sideline and never be in, in the risk of giving away a penalty out in the full. So, mm-hmm. like, you have so much margin for error and you look at someone like Clinton Gufferson, who is not a noted drop-kicking specialist, but he's done a very good job managing to always get the 10 metres and not be, near the side, like, not be near enough the sideline to cause penalties. And if he can sit there and do that, why can't every team have a, a person that's dedicated to getting the ball 12, 15 metres downfield and then somewhere between uh, 5 to 15 metres from the sideline. I just don't understand why. And this, that's obviously just line dropouts, but it also goes for kickoff restarts and the, the very rare but 20-metre uh, restart from a missed penalty. And it just, I don't know, like this concept of more contests, I appreciate why clubs would want that, but at the same time, there needs to be repercussions and, and reaction to action. And when a team makes a good play, why are they getting punished? I don't understand why we, we're tinkering for the sake of tinkering yet again. And let me put this scenario to you. Well, two scenarios. Teams kicking off at halfway. They go for a short kickoff out wide. Their players are running through to contest the ball, but it just flies over the sideline on the full. Or... Um, or the uh, the opposing team maybe catches it with one foot over the sideline there, but it's on that it's around that ten meter mark, right? Travels the ten meters, but it goes over the sideline on the full. What happens with that? It's a tap restart, right, on the ten meter line. What happens if they kick it deeper, say into the quarter line, and it goes over the sideline on the full? It's not being contested. Mm. I'll tell you what happens. It's a penalty. And what we're that, framing here is that there's now discretion and it's open to interpretation correct. whether it was contestable or not. Correct. But I don't believe the word contested is actually in the rule. So then that's the referee's your discretion. Correct. So we've now we've now introduced a, a, a grey area that again will be contentious and have fans at each other's throats. Yes, yeah, and because I, I ask you this as well, what do you think will happen when the ball's kicked over the dead ball line on the full? Mm. Penalty. As it should. So, yeah. So it's to the. From what I understand, and this is, you know, I'm and I use this as a proviso, from what I understand, and if I'm wrong, I'm happy for our listeners to correct me and to put in uh, the wording of the rules um, in their replies or where I've got it wrong. Uh, I don't mind being wrong, in certainly in this instance. 
But as I understand it, this rule applies to where there is a contest for the ball that even includes the ball going over the sideline on the full. But if they're just kicking deep and whether it goes over the sideline on the full or over the dead ball line or touching goal on the full, if that happens, it's still the old penalty. And I would imagine that the same would apply if they were going for a longer line dropout or 20-metre restart that was a long kick where their players weren't running through and contesting it. I imagine it would the same would still apply if it's not that they're looking for a... I, I guess it, it comes down to, are they doing a short restart? And then what constitutes a short restart? Because we've seen the the high restarts that'll travel a distance, haven't we? Yes. You know, like where there's, you know, where it might land, say, just past the, uh, just say about 25, 30 metres out from the line and it's put up nice and high and sometimes they go over near the sideline and the players are charging through. So, yeah, to me, I think there's a, there's a grey area there and... You know, this is something else that uh, you raised as well, Forty, that if they wanted to make a change, we probably wouldn't have an issue where if there was a, a short dropout that didn't look as if it was going the, the distance um, or the ball had stopped, that the team receiving the ball would have the option of falling mm, on the ball. To make a play at the ball, yeah to make a play at the ball once it had stopped and if it was short, that if they wanted to, they could make a play at it. But Which I believe is, you know, it's my memories out, Darcy, having not played for a long time, but I'm pretty certain that's how it works in rugby union, where if the ball doesn't travel 10, there will be an infringement on the kicking team, but the receiving team still have the option to play at the ball and try and gain an advantage. Um, and the, I suppose that the last point of this discussion I want to talk about was we live in a rugby league metagame, an environment now where... Not every team, but the vast majority of teams, even without this rule change, were already taking the short 10 dropout or short 15, short 20, whatever you want, you know, just the short option dropout the vast majority of times because the data, the essentially the game theory within rugby league pointed towards the fact that you had to defend your goal line regardless. You might as well try and get a possession back. And it, it's largely been adopted by most teams. We saw it backfire comically in the grand final for the, uh, the tribe, which, you know, happens once in a blue moon. But we now live in an environment where it's even easier or less, you know, less uh, risk or blowback to do that. The Walker Brothers copped a lot of criticism going back, what, a decade now when they played that sort of ultra possession-based uh, game plan in Q Cup or what it was, whatever it was back in that iteration of short dropouts, short kickoffs, just short restarts in general. We, we now have the short dropouts being a feature, a staple of the NRL metagame. Given that we can now kick off and the worst that the outcome is is a play the ball on halfway, how far off are we from seeing teams starting to adopt the perpetual short kickoff? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think I think we're we're very close to that. It's almost the rule is almost making it mandatory. Yeah. Well, obviously if you're that, chasing points, it is now safer than ever to try and uh, go for the, the short kickoff and the team will still get the possession on halfway, but they won't be able to kick it downfield another 20 metres or take a 
pot shot at field at a two point uh, penalty shot from halfway, etc. But yeah, we 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 are very close to a a big paradigm shift in the way the game is played because yeah, we already have perpetual short dropouts, which I've been a proponent of for a long time. To be fair, but the 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 risk of the short kickoff going astray, going awry, and, and then giving the ball on halfway with the benefit of a penalty touch finder or a shot at goal from halfway was a huge deterrent unless you were literally, you know, in the last 10 minutes of the game chasing the, the possession and the tries, which is fair enough. But, yeah, we are very close now to – and I'll be interested to see which team is the first to adopt it. But, yeah, just chasing possession or trying to dominate possession and go after those 50-50 balls from short kickoffs every kickoff. Look, I think there are plenty of options with the type of kickoff that's executed. I think we've spoken before uh, about drilling the ball yeah, straight the sideline. Yeah, yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah, the... yeah. And there are so many teams now where the first defenders are not standing on the ten metre line; they're they're standing fifteen metres away from the kicking team, and you've got all this open space, not just for a a short little grubber restart that where you can, you know, and you see players often do this, the the little grubber ahead and then falling on the ball themselves. But you've almost got a clear passage, especially if you've got the ball placed on halfway. I mean, mm. forget about the line dropout where it's where that's harder to execute. But if you've got the ball on a tee, your ability to drill uh, one of those end-over-end grubbers where you inevitably get one of those high-kick bounces... I'm stunned that coaches aren't trying to execute that more. I mean, we see them with that drilling, those low kicks that are uh, almost skid off the surface because they're being kicked around the corner. But the old um, the old toe poke with the with the ball facing backwards on the mm. tee, so the high part of the ball is facing back towards you, and you kick the top part of the ball. And then you get that big kick bounce that happens, and invariably it happens just in front of the sideline. So and if you're looking to field it and you're standing near the sideline, it's going to kick over your head. And uh, yeah, I'm just amazed that that hasn't been adopted more than these, you know, high kicks that seem to almost, as you say, we're heading towards the mandatory with them now. So I think rather than giving us more of the unexpected, which is probably their intent, it's all going to become expected, the short mm. restart. And then it starts to become boring. Well, maybe not boring, but, you know, it's... I don't think they're going to get the outcome that they want because I'm no. sure it's going to be some way that the coaches are going to manipulate this. And it's probably going to change um, some of that unexpected in terms of the grubber kick into the end goal hmm. because what's the point of doing that unless you can actually score because the chances are the team that's kicking out there that's restarting they've maybe got a 50 50 chance of getting that ball back yeah. and and at the very worst you're going to be set against a um well you're, you're going to end up being uh facing when you're in possession a set defensive line because, to, and this is something we discussed about it before between ourselves, why do a long line dropout 
where your defence line has to sprint out from the line for 30 metres or so and then get themselves set. So they're, they're already expending energy, whereas you do the short dropout, there's no sprinting into position. Everything's all set. And you, the, the energy that's expended is negligible from the short dropout. So I think we know what we're going to see more of this year. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely. I'd tell you who is uh, very disappointed that they're no longer playing NRL right now is Pat Richards because he's, he is hope for this rule to come into place and, and, and utilise his fantastic um, kickoff and um, line dropout skills for exactly this moment. So, you know, uh, I, might, I, might, I might call this rule the Pat Richards rule or the Pat Richards effect or something <laughs> like that moving forward. Yeah, that's okay. So uh, let's let's do a, a vote here. Thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm going to give it a thumbs down. The new rule, John. Can yeah. I give it two? So go ahead. John. <laughs> you about to give it the two thumbs down? I, uh, I was about to give it the two thumbs down. Yeah, well, Dave Chappelle, for free hands, give it three thumbs down. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, again. It just feels like tinkering for the sake of tinkering, and the fact that they're addressing. Uh, the side that should be disadvantaged more so than the side that should be advantaged uh, by being able to play at the ball preemptively. Uh, I don't really know why we need to do one without the other or do the first one in the first place. And yeah, I don't know. I just, the the game feels like it's in a pretty healthy place in general. I know there's always complaints about offsides and the wrestle and you know things that are a staple of the modern game. But as a product, we're seeing more quality attacking football than ever. We're still seeing some great hits and good defense while protecting player health more than ever, and yet we want to tinker with stuff. So I don't know. It just it, it feels John, like, rules rules committees have to have something. To well, do. Again, is this a a, a proof like a, a proof of self validation for a rules committee? Like, hey guys, we are you know we are fixing problems, we are solving things, we are you know proving our worth and the need for a rules committee. I don't know. Uh, it just feels like we don't need these changes. Like we didn't need some of the other stuff. Like, uh. I know it's now part of the fabric of the game, but I don't feel like the six again change was anywhere near as uh, beneficial to the game as it it's perhaps was projected to be. And here we are. Oh, don't start me again, John. You know how much I hated that rule what? even even before a single and, minute and was again, played under Again, that, that comes back to the idea that why can't you just, instead of letting this stuff go and having to introduce a like a, the equivalent of a short arm, I suppose, from rugby union, which is what the six again probably really is, uh, instead of you know letting muck and, and rubbish in the ruck keep happening, just penalise it. Just and, and don't get whistle fatigue. If a team is going to keep infringing the ruck, penalise and sin bin. And yet we we didn't want to pull a trigger on that because I don't know it's bad optics, hurts the product. Don't want to penalise the big teams that keep getting away with it. I don't know. It could be any of those reasons. It could be something else. Yet here we are for a massive rule change with six again, and now here we are for a rule change on line dropouts and set restarts that we don't need to have. And it doesn't really the, the logical reason for it doesn't track at least in my book. Yeah, well, I think that's probably a good enough discussion there, uh, Clint. What's next on our agenda? Well, we're probably going to finish it up uh, here today with a uh, a little preview of the junior reps that are obviously approaching this uh, weekend with round one kicking off, John. I might throw it back to you to run through our team list um, and so uh, we can just get an idea of who's running out for each side this weekend. Yes, sir. As we mentioned at the top of the podcast, we've got the split round with the two double headers, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. 
Um, you can play along from home via the TCT live blog and the New South, New South Wales Rugby League live stream. So plenty of ways to access the game, have a chat about the game, so you can watch the live stream and also chat about it in TCT, or you can just follow the updates on TCT if you haven't got the data. Uh, but we start out at Belmore Sports Ground on uh, Saturday, sorry, uh, with the Eels taking on the Canterbury Bulldogs. What a shock. Uh, and this is the Lisa Fiola Cup and the Tasha Gale Cup. Kicking off at 10 o'clock a.m., as 60s mentioned earlier in the podcast. And uh, this is a team we're not too familiar with, 60s, because they had their... Uh, the Fiola Cup was... Is it two years? Is this its third year now? It was a weekend tournament, then a sort of month-long tournament. Now it's a fully-fledged Pathways program. And this is its first proper round one in a nine-week plus finals program, right? That's correct. It was uh, just the four rounds... Last season, the Eels went undefeated in their four matches. There's a, quite a number of the girls backing up this season as part of the Lisa Fia Ola Cup. They were outstanding last year with a lot of girls who were only 16 years of age. And uh, it's an under-17s comp. So they're running around again this season. And uh, they really wiped the floor with some of their opponents yeah, last year. They, they were so. Yeah, there are some who have gone up to the Tasha Gale squad this year from uh, Lisa, that uh, short Lisa Fiola um, Cup last year. But, um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how they perform with it being a full season this year. They only just played the Bulldogs in in trials the other week. So um, they'll be sort of familiar with each other you'd say and it's, but anyway you've got the team list there yeah, to run through mate yeah great to see the pathways now balanced with both the men and women's or young men young women's having the 17s and 19s pathways only thing separating the two now is the fact that there isn't a jersey flag equivalent for the ladies they go straight into the harvey harvey normal women's premiership so it'd be interesting to see if that ends up eventuating or if i just keep using the harvey norman's women's premiership as the development ground for the young women but starting at fullback, as always, uh, with the Lisa Fiola Cup, we have Logan Lamusu. On the wings, it's Nikita E. So I'm not sure if that's a transcription error or it's just Nikita E, Nikita E. We'll find out and I get some more clarity on that. On the other flank, it's Fia Fia Freedom Crichton Rapati. In the centres, Daniil Sekold and Essence Arlo. In the halves, it's Wairia Ellis and Aliyah Sofan. Front row, it's Tala Faniko, Bailey Machonga Dummy Half, and Shia uh, Tokolic as the other prop. Again, always, as always, apologies if I've got these names wrong early on. We're going to try and get clarity on pronunciations as the season winds out. Uh, in the back row, Fontaine Tafua, Leia Kuwik and Kylia Gray. On the interchange, Jasmine Rarani, Leona Vey, Merisivo and Anavave. The two shadow players, Elias Scrivens and Shannon Latupu. Moving on to Tashgal Cup, the second of the double header there at 11.30 a.m. kickoff. Uh, Eels start at fullback with Dallas Graham Wichel, uh, Wivel, sorry. Uh, on the flanks, it's Alyssa Rain Pietas, uh, and then Howie Bell. In the centres, Caitlin Pearden and Lindsay Tui. Crazy to think that Lindsay was playing NRLW in her junior year of Tashigo eligibility, boys. So it be interesting to see how her season unwinds here and uh, how much she plays once the Harvey Normans Women's Premiership kicks off. Uh, then you've got uh, Rafaela Perigo and Alia Hamano in the halves. In the front row, it's Kalisi Mahe and Liana Dimmick in the front row. Oh, sorry, at the bookend slots, Rory Mueller at dummy half. You've got Michaela Bourne, Bella Sanford, and rival Lee Arlo in the back row. On the interchange, Charlotte Cawthorn, Layla Black, Dena Amena, Nua Ali, and then uh, Oriana Tulamau. 
and then the two shadow players, Aaliyah Ganoom and Keely Stevens. So a couple of well, we've got, got we've got some familiar. Yeah, names I was about to say, there. yeah, some returning players there in that Gale squad, although some graduates and um, or graduates rather and missing players that I will see probably feature in the Harvey Norman's Women's Premiership and then eventually the NRLW. Well, we did mention as well last year, young Hayley Bell, who was uh, quite a young dynamo. Yeah, a goal, a goal on the flank. Yeah, she, yeah it was a uh, strong ball runner and, and some big hits in defence too. Um, I already gave Lindsay Toy a shout-out, but Caitlin Peden was part of the squad last year, good player. Uh, Khaleesi Mahe, Liana Dimmick, uh, Bella Sanford who I thought was very strong in the back half of the, the 2023 season. She was in her junior year of eligibility. Charlotte Corform spent some time in the halves last season, but now moves to the utility role. Uh, and I think, was it Layla Black with us as well? Um, maybe. Yes, yeah, she was. So. Yeah, so uh, there's still a fair bit of roster churn, as you expect, in the junior pathways. Uh, but there is some uh, experience in the context of the Parramatta Eels here. And then whether they've got recruits from external sources or their uh, Lisa Fiola Cup graduates. Um, be very interested to see how his team goes. Going up against the Bulldogs, who have we have to say last year's 60s, they were outstanding. Um, they were really yeah. one of the benchmark teams. And was that a one-year one wonder for them? Because they recruited very strongly from external sources last year, the Bulldogs. They, they, they very much did recruit strongly from external sources. And we ended up with one of their players in our NRLW the team. Boss, yes. Uh, the boss, yes. Kapoor, yep. yeah who um, was another one of the young players that we can hopefully build around moving forwards. And, yeah, we're going to get acquainted with these two teams as the first few weeks of the season play out. And the same is true for the Harold Matthews Cup and the SG Ball Cup, which we'll go through now. Um, they're out at Eric Tweedow Stadium on Sunday. Same kickoff times for the two branches there. 10 o'clock kickoff for the Harold Matthews Cup, 11.30pm for the ball. But we start with the Cup as they host New Zealand Warriors. Uh, and fullback, uh, this was a player I'm very keen to see, 60, Cyrus Bloomfield, a uh, very athletic fullback prospect. On the flanks, you've got Jarrell Tutila and Rima Rokosuka, one of the junior eligible players last year, back for his senior year. In the centres, Anders Johansson and Nathan Howitt. Uh, I don't think there is any relation to the all-back great Dougie Howitt, but that would be very, very cool if it was. Uh, in the halves, Talon Rosati and Lincoln Fletcher. Ryder Talangi. The uh, younger brother of Blaze, but uh, you won't be mistaken him for being uh, the little brother of Blaze. He is an absolute mountain of a young man in the front row, and he's part. He partners the outstanding Queensland prospect from last year, Ocean Noah Vivella. Ezra Leota, another Queensland recruit, I believe, is in the dummy half slot. In the back row, it's Samuel Polly, Michael Nawa, and Mason Talsia Ong, who was another excellent player last year. On the interchange, Billy Fanene, Leviticus Funa Ayuta, the young brother of. Uh, Josiah, who is going to be in the SG Ball squad. And then you've got Wesley, Picotti, and Kasinga Noah rounding out the 17 with Natu, to, sorry, Natu, Natu Tutasina Leota as the uh, 18th man, who I believe might be a relation to the dummy half Ezra Leota. I think they might be brothers. So cool team there. A uh, lot of new faces here, 60s. I'm um, just looking through the returnees. We have Lorima Rokosuka, Lincoln Fletcher, Ocean Vivella, Mason Ong, and I believe that rounds out the entirety of the, the second-year players here. Uh, so it's a young squad. It's a, a raw squad, but there is some serious talent in this team. Yeah, and just on uh, the trials, I saw um, uh, Cyrus Bloomfield. He, the trial last a couple of weeks back, 
he started off on the wing but then moved to fullback. So they've obviously decided that fullback is his best option there. Uh, Lincoln Fletcher at half, I thought he had a very good trial against the Panthers. Uh, very uh, composed, decent kicking game. Um, you've already uh, referenced uh, young Ryder, Blazers, younger uh, brother who's, uh, who's uh, quite a, a good build for a prop. Uh, Ocean Vivella, I'll tell you what, if he has developed in his power game from last year, he was a force was a, to be reckoned two with of the force last a year, year young last yeah. year. Mm-hmm. So that that will be interesting to follow there. And um, uh, Leviticus Funa Ayuta, he is another uh, big unit. Um, I he he may even be bigger than his older brother. Yeah, the, the discrepancy from, probably isn't as, as pronounced as uh, Blaze and Ryder. Not that Blaze is small by any means. He is a you know well built outside back prospect. But uh, Leviticus and Josiah, well, they're they're two very big forwards right there. Which uh, brings us nicely to the SG Ball Cup, who are also playing the New Zealand Warriors, kicking off 11.30 a.m. out at Eric Tweedow. Uh, we start at fullback, Junior Fangalele, who returns from the 2023 season. On the wings, Muhammad Alamadine, who was really impressive on the wing last year, joined by the junior squad member, Dominic Ferruja. That's a blog favourite right there, 60s. Dom is a fantastic talent, runs like the wind, and is built like a modern winger. In the centre, has got a new face in Dakota Kukui as well as a returning Devonto Vivella, who I've heard some uh, good things about this year. I'm really looking forward to seeing him play in the centres. you got Lorenzo well, We Tom- met Dakota last year, too, when he was um, visiting the Para House. Correct, when, um, correct, yes. He, yes. He, he was coming over for... Yeah. Um, it was... I think he was going to play a game. Yeah, a talent um, squad, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, in the dev squad. But, yeah. he's, um, but I think he had an injury or something. But we mm. did get to... Um, medium. So, um, yeah, New Zealand. Fun, there. fun little fact, we actually uh, housed Dakota here uh, at our place when he was originally trialling uh, over here. Um, so, yeah, great to see um, someone who's uh, who stayed here with us uh, make that level of progression and uh, very keen to see how Dakota goes. Getting the round one start as well, which is always a good sign. Um, but so it's a, a very intriguing backline here. Uh, Junior Fungalele sort of been able to play a few spots uh, between the half centres and fullback, so he's been very versatile. Uh, and you got returnees Alamadine and Vivella. Uh, and Vivella, like I said, 60's heard some good things this year, really keen to see how he goes, which brings us to the halves. Uh, Lorenzo Talatine was very good last year, uh, strong ball running 5'8", and he's going to partner Dylan Brettel, uh, who was another returnee as well. Uh, and then the front row, got a new recruit, who I think is also from Queensland, uh, Bo Lucian. You might be able to correct me on that if I'm wrong. Alongside uh, Sebastian Piocala, uh, Seb was a very good player for the team last year and now gets a chance to start in the front row. At dummy half, probably one of the more intriguing recruits, Jai Camilleri, the Well, he's not an NFL prospect, but he was playing the Australian gridiron, uh, in the Australian gridiron system and was recruited from that at dummy half. So very keen to see how he goes and if he can project to be more of a Isaac Luke-style sort of power dummy half, uh, which he also haven't really had in a system uh, ever really so be keen to see if he can bring a point of difference there in the back row already got a shout out but Josiah Funa Ayuda he was outstanding in the Harold Matthews last year now gets a chance to start in his junior year in the SG ball with a, a well a safe familiar face 60s we didn't get to see much of Tyrese Lekenny last year because I believe he had school commitments for sport that kept him out of the Eel squad but he's back in season 2024 that's awesome to see he starts on the opposite edge Max Popo 
great name. He's locked forward. On the interchange, you've got Isaiah Murphy, Lawson Moffat, Javan Stevenson Haller, who he picked up from the Tricolors of Sydney Roosters, and then uh, Sotila Junior Fatui to round out the interchange. Tyson Sangalang, who's a real goer, is the 18th man. And yeah, this is a very interesting squad. Um, I, looking at this team, plenty of strike in the back line. I really like that back line. The two to five is fantastic. Uh, I'm not sure how Junior projects as the starting fullback. I have to wait to see how he goes because he's been, like I said, a versatile piece to be played across the entire back line. Whether he can carve out that fullback role for his own remains to be seen. And then probably in the halves, uh, Talatina is a, a sort of Jerome Luai-esque, you know, running 5-8 in that regard. And Dylan Bredel has the skills, but just needs to show he's got the physicality to go with that spot. Yeah, it's... Look, I think it's an interesting season for the SG ball because you've got some players who are returning from a successful SG ball team last year. Always hard you've to got up. some yep, you've got some players who have come up from the mats. You've got the newer players that have been introduced to the team and you've got a whole bunch of SG ball eligible players who are going to be playing New South Wales Cup and Jersey flag for the Eels this year. And I'm sure that if the Eels were just in the business of locking up a title, there'd be an interesting team that yeah. would be taking the, the field in energy. Seismic changes here. to the roster, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. So this is really something – it's actually something, however, that's needed because – what you've got up higher in the grades, especially in the New South Wales Cup, is there is a changing of the guard that's happening. You've got all these teenage players who are pushing to be selected in New South Wales Cup, teenage or, or, or you know, 2021, but a whole lot of young players, they're pushing to be selected for New South Wales Cup. As they've pushed up, it's then also opened up the opportunities for younger players and players recruited from elsewhere to be selected for Jersey flag. And uh, because really, at the very least, you might have expected some of those players that are going to play New South Wales Cup, they would have been back playing Jersey flag probably in, uh, you know, in other years. But we're really seem to be pushing the youth at the moment. Um, and because you've then got players who have been elevated into Jersey flag as a result of that, they're also young. And then that's opened up opportunities for others to be given their shot in SG ball. And I guess what that really does is it gives a look at more players than yeah. might normally have been the case. Yep. So Open stores and great opportunities for other players to seize and correct. maybe step into the spotlight because there is already another talented youngster playing up another grade. So, um, or two grades in the case of some of these SG ball-eligible players who will be turning out in New South Wales Cup uh, come round one, we imagine. So, yeah, you, you like seeing that because it, it certainly creates more opportunities and gives more talent and more prospects a chance to show that they should be part of the big picture. So it's going to be a, a, an important year for the SG ball in that regard whether they can harness the success of last year and, and go deep into the finals again remains to be seen because the SG ball, as we know, is a very competitive competition um, and the Eels have a big target on their back and it's always hard to be the reigning champion in that regard and it's part of what makes the Penrith 3 so impressive uh, in the NRL. 
Uh, but yeah, very keen. They've got some great pieces in there. I mean, the back line's got speed and power. Ford Pack's got some you know good performers in Piacala, Funai, Yuta, Lakeni, um, some new faces that we've got to see in Lucian and Popo. So yeah, really, really keen to see how these boys turn out. And I'm also keen to see how the Warriors go, uh, given that they're now yes. part of the SG Ball and Harold Matthews competitions. And their competition's been restructured somewhat to understandably cater to their needs. I believe that they're playing split rounds all the time. So if you're playing the Warriors, whether it's home or away, you'll be playing them on a Sunday, allowing them to fly into Australia on the Saturday and prep for the game. Um, and yeah, yep. it's good It's good for the competition. It's good for the Warriors, who already boast a, a very strong junior pathways in general, but now have a chance to put the rugby league tendrils deeper into the north of New Zealand in particular uh, earlier on. Oh, don't... Clint, don't you don't you love our wordsmith there? The, get the the rugby league tendrils, the rugby you're a league savant, an absolute <laughs> rugby league wordsmith. You're the you're the savant. It's it, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, uh, look, it's this first round. It's it's impossible for us really to make a tip oh, because one thing you we're, we're tipping on. against the un, we're tipping against the yeah. unknown. And lots of uh, drop oh, ball is pretty much the only thing you can count on when it comes to the first round or two of the junior reps. It's yeah, just, what it, what I can't you've you've just spoken at length about the the talent that's in the SG ball team. What I noticed just as a as a backup for the the Mats team is that they were very very physical in, in the trial that I mm-hmm. it was um, yeah also a lot of drop ball. But yeah, very very physical team, and um, the uh, the feedback that I had on the Lisa Fiola Cup was uh, that they were really. I didn't get to see their trial against Penrith, but they were really impressive and and got a convincing win in their trial. And the Tasha Gale, when it was the uh, the starting uh, thirteen slash seventeen that were getting their game time. Uh, against Penrith that they had the slight edge on the Panthers and that the Panthers pulled them back in in that in the latter part of that trial might have just edged ahead. Um, I haven't been able to get exact scores in those trials, but it's all it's all on this weekend and trials don't mean anything. It's they're now in in a short competition. Every every point counts. Every competition point counts because as we've seen in the past. You can miss out on uh, it's top top five, isn't it? Well, that's what it's been the last couple of years, and it's very easy to miss out on the on the finals placings in a competition that normally only has eight matches and a bye. So uh, you can't afford to drop any games that you should that you should get. You you get punished if you have an off week in a match where you sh- might be expected to win. So. so um, good luck to all the young players, and uh, I think Clint, that just about concludes the preview of junior reps for this week. Yeah, and likewise, it brings us to uh, the end of our show. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in this week. Of course, a big thank you as always to our sponsors: Big Swing Golf at Northmead and Star Partners Auburn, Narellan, and Parramatta. The show doesn't happen without you, and we are very grateful for your ongoing support and. Uh, as we end the show, as always, I throw to my good mate Sixties to say, go you mighty eels. And don't forget the vote.